Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Houston has the Oilers, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. If you're a first-timer, welcome aboard. And hey, it's always a joy and a privilege to welcome in a member of the Houston Oilers' iconic Love You Blue team. On the line with me is Oilers safety, Vernon Perry. And for those too young to remember, Perry played with the Oilers from 79 to 82. 40 years ago, 40 years ago, he was the MVP of the most improbable and I'll say significant win of any Houston NFL franchise, Oilers or Texans. That win put the Oilers into the conference championship game, which was the last time a Houston team participated in a conference championship game. Vernon, does it feel like 40 years ago? Oh, man, I I wouldn't have knew until you just said 40 years. I thought it was just like maybe five or ten years ago. (laughs) So that's what it felt like. No, still have owning up to that record, man. It just seemed like yesterday I went out and made that comeback for the Oilers. I saw you back at the Robert Brazil roast at the Improv right before he got into the Hall of Fame and just an incredible night with all the Oilers legends in one place. Earl Campbell was there, Pastorini, Bethay, Culp, White Shoes, on and on and on. What's it like when you guys get a chance to hang out? Oh, man, it's like a, a reunion. I, I really love him and Pastorini because he's keeping us together as a, a team, friend, mother, father, and sister and brother. He's keeping all us together, man, because without him, some of the guys would have been a straight off because he's allowing us to come back and do different things in the city. So when we see each other, man, it's like a fun thing. Like we were still on the team and Bon Phillips was still the coach, you know, here in Houston. And, uh, man, I mean, it's just the city just embraced us, man. And when they see us in town, the love you blue, man, they just love us, man. It's like we all of us still there in Houston, Texas. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a bit. But you and Robert Brazil were teammates at Jackson State. How close are the two of you guys? Man, me and Robert are real good friends. You know, he finally got into that NFL Hall of Fame, and he told me, he said, Vernon, man, I'm finna get in this Hall of Fame, and if I'm in, you in. As long as I'm in, you a part of me, so you a Hall of Famer too. So that meant a lot to me, and you know, we, you know, we both went to Jackson State, and on that team that myself and Robert played on, we had three Hall of Fame. We had Robert Brazil. Jackie Slater and Walter Payton, all on the same team at Jackson. So that's a big plus for us to have four Hall of Famers from Jackson State, but three on the same team during the same year. So, you know, Robert means a lot to me, you know, and I'm finally he, he finally got what he deserved because he should have been in there a long time ago. But like he tell me, he said, man, let me tell you something. Good Lord, know when it was time for me to go in. It was Super Bowl 52, and that's my jersey number, 52. That's great. What, what was it like uh, that day? when you were you, you, you were there, right? You went to Canton? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I was there. Oh, man, he was so hyped, man. He had his family, and like you said, he was able to let his mom and dad see his, you know, his accomplishment, you know, going into the hall, which was a big plus for him. And he had his family and a lot of friends. And, you know, I was there 
And I feel pretty good because he got a chance to call my name and to be heard all over the world. So, you know, that's a major step for him because he deserved one of the greatest linebackers that you ever want to play with. And plus, he's the reason that I ended up in Houston because if he wouldn't have got me to Houston, I would have been out there in L.A. doing movies and been a movie star. So now he, he got me to go to come to Houston, and now I'm a cowboy. I'm a, I wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats now instead of being a movie star. What, what was this being a movie star? I don't know if I've heard this story. You, you were thinking about going, going to be an actor? Yeah, well, what happened is that I had three teams trying to get me. Uh, I was up in Canada, and, you know, the Oilers, the Rams, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I was going to go to the Rams because Jackie Slater, who was my childhood best friend, was playing for the Rams. And Brazil was in Houston. So I I had to, you know, toss the ball up in there, and whichever came out on top, that's where I was going in Houston, won the toss. Because, you know, L.A. is for all the movie stars, and, and if you played football, you became an actor. So I figured, like, I might have been an actor instead of a cowboy, wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even get drafted, right? You went to play for the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL at that time. Right. What happened is when I came out of college, I signed as a free agent. And I was going to sign with Buffalo Bills, but I had went to show you how things work. Walter Payton, which is another one of my best friends, was playing for the Chicago Bears. He got me to sign a free agent contract with the Chicago Bears. I probably would have made that team, but you know how you too many defensive backs and you got to let somebody go. So I was able, I had got cut from Chicago, and I ended up going back to my hometown and finishing my college career, getting my degree. And I knew I was going to sign with the Buffalo Bills, but the Montreal Alouettes had a trial in Houston. And I said, oh, why not go try for it? One no pressure on me. I went to Houston, tried out, had a great day, and the Montreal Alouettes ended up signing me. Went up there for two years, and I was in a great cup for two years. Won it the first year, lost it the second year to Warren Moon. I had records in the great cup for the longest interception in a great cup. I had, like, two interceptions in the great cup my first year. So, And then I ended up going the second year, and we played against Warren Moon, and we lost. And that was the year I ended up signing with Houston after that. Now, you mentioned Robert Brazil, of course, from Jackson State. But when you came down to the Oilers, this was before the 79 season. So that was the season that you had the four interceptions against the Chargers, the, the year they got to the right. second conference championship game. But you guys weren't the only two on that team from Jackson State. Uh, tight end Rich Castor and, and tackle Leon Gray were there. So you had three guys from Jackson State. Yeah, we had uh, four guys. We had Richard Castor, Leon Gray, my, myself, and Robert Brazil all from Jackson State on that 79 team. And if you go back and look, they had a picture of me with all four Jackson State guys on the picture together, and they had me up in the air after the interception. That was a great game, man. It was like a, a dream come true, man. It was like everywhere Dan Fouts threw, threw the ball, man. I was there. It is intercepted by Vernon Perry, and the Frank Merriwell story ends. And just erase the name Merriwell. It belongs to Vernon Perry. 
upset in San Diego. I'm sure this will go down as one of the classic upsets of recent football history, Dick. You know, we had guys like Kenny Burroughs out. We had Dan Pastorina out, Earl Pamba out, but they never, never mentioned the defense. The defense wasn't hurting. So we stepped up that game and played well, and Gifford Nelson and Ron Carpenter played a good game, man, and we ended up coming out there victorious. We won that game, and it was like, wow. Let me go back to before that game, actually, because I think this gets lost in everything that happened. It it was a tough win over the Broncos, and you talked about everybody that went out. Campbell, Pastorini, and Kenny Burrow, your three three main offensive weapons, all go down with the same injury, a pulled groin. What were you thinking as this game's going along? See, we played against the Denver Broncos, and matter of fact, I better throw this in. The three playoff games that I played in, I had an interception against the Broncos, had four interceptions against the Chargers. Then I came right back and had one against Terry Bradshaw. So I had six interceptions in three games. But like you said, we had uh, those three guys was hurt. And we was going into San Diego, and everybody just knew San Diego was just going to run over us. And with them three guys out, I'm telling you, Ron Carpenter and Gifford Nelson and the whole offensive team, they came to life, man. And they, they really they really took charge and they won that game. Defense just held them to, what, 14 points. But it was amazing that we had guys on offense to step up. And that's what we needed because, you know, it was Kenny Burroughs, Dan Pastorini, and Earl Campbell. I mean, when those guys went out, we had no chance of winning. But we stepped up that day, and the defense really stepped up and played a great game against a high-powered, powerful uh, scoring offense. Yeah, you mentioned that offense. First of all, just so people know, Earl Campbell, Pastorini, and Burrow, they were 80% of your offensive production that year. You were facing a Chargers offense with – uh, Hall of Fame QB Dan Fouts. He led the NFL in passing yards that year. The Chargers defense, and this gets lost in history too, was fifth in the league and had held four of their previous five opponents to seven points or less. So that defense right. was really stronger than I think a lot of people might remember. Do you remember anything Bum said to you guys before the game in San Diego or anything anybody that said that stands out? He said, every man get a man, every man get a good man or something like that. Brazil got that old, that saying down, but every man get one man, every man get a good man or something. Anyway, go out there and play your game. Just don't be nervous. Just go have fun, and and we'll win. We'll win. But you know me, I was nervous my first year, so I was kind of like tuning everything out because I was like focusing on the game. But you know, coming in as a rookie, and you know, a rookie on the field. And you got to go out there and play. And I was, and I had to cover the best receivers on the field. I had to cover Charlie Jordan. I had to cover uh, the tight end. Uh, I think Winslow was hurt that game. But they had another tight end, Kevin Klein or something. They had some of the top wide receivers in the league, and I had to cover them. So I, my focus was on just covering them dudes. And, you know, it about called a good good defense, but he did tell everybody this, though. 
and he didn't tell me. He said that he knew every time Dan Fouse was going to throw the ball, and he had he failed to tell me that. <laughs> you know, I wish he would have told me because if he'd have told us where the ball was going, I'd have had ten interceptions. You know, but he didn't, and we had a good game. But like I say, it was it, you know it was our defensive line getting pressure on Dan Fouse. To make make him have to throw that ball real fast, and so happened when he threw it, it was like he was just throwing it to me. I was running the routes, but it was fun though, man. And we came out with a victory, and that's all that matters. Not only did you have the four interceptions, but you also had a blocked field goal, which you ran back. And not yeah. only the four interceptions, it's the four interceptions. Vernon, it's still a playoff record. No player in any game, any game, not even. You know, regular season game has had more than four. I mean, it's it's a, is that incredible to you? It's, it's still the record. It's still a record. It's uh, uh, you know, they I had four interceptions and I had a block field goal, but see, they had they had drove us all the way down to the to probably eight five or ten yard line, and they was getting ready to uh, kick a field goal, and I jumped over one of the, the players and got in and blocked the field. And so having the ball bounced up in my hand and I'm racing down the sideline. And you know, Brazil and all them guys give me a lot of grief about the hole of catching me, uh, which, you know, he was the fastest, probably the fastest guy on the San Diego team. Was You know, he was a fast little guy. He caught me, I think I got like 57 yards and he ran me down. Well, he didn't run me down. He just, was running side by side with me, but I was tired anyway. So make sure everybody know that I was tired. All right, let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Blocked, and Perry could go all the way. Only Fuller to beat. Vernon Perry at the 45. He is all the way to the 30-yard line of San Diego. Oh, my, what a turnabout. How does that hear, sound to hear that again? <laughs> oh man, that's pretty cool, man. You need to send me that voice thing. I need to put that on my phone every time somebody calls. Make sure Brazil hear that. <laughs> you know, his first thing come out of his mouth, man. You got ran down by a white boy. I said, yeah, but I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun though, man. It was fun though, man. It, we, we, man, you wouldn't believe the love that we had on that team, man. When I'm, you know, I'm coming in from Canada not knowing what to expect. And I had guys like Curly Cup and Robert Bazier and all them guys, you know, taking care of me. Because, you know, we had guys like Carl Mark. Man, every time Carl Mark talked, you know, everybody was, like, scared, man, you know. And and plus, if you're a rookie, and I was going, I was coming in to take another guy's job, too. But Bazier did tell me this, though. He said, Vernon, he said, we had a we got a good defense, but we missing one piece, and that's a, uh, somebody to cover guys like Arjun Newsom, who's always beating us. Uh, you know, guys like that. We need somebody to cover him and make plays, make tackles, and that's why we got you. And I was like, Oh yeah. He said, I said, Yeah. He said we needed a good strong safety that can force the run and cover guys like Ozzie Newsom. And that's when he sent the scouts up to Canada to, you know, to scout me. 
And I was a perfect fit, man. And I loved it, man. And then when I got there, man, it was, I mean, it was amazing, man. I'm, I'm in camping. You might see Willie Nelson on the sideline of the Gatlin brothers or George Stray or anybody down there talking to Bum while we had practice. I'm like, is this practice? I mean, it was, it was like fun, man. I mean, you know, it, it was like a family, man. I, I, I've never been around a, on a team that made me feel like, man, it was like just family out there playing the game. That's something else. I, I want to get back to just the whole Oilers experience in a little bit. But one last thing about that Chargers game. You mentioned Rob Carpenter, who replaced Earl Campbell at running back. And Carpenter had sprained an ankle two days before the game. The ankle was in such bad shape that he was seen, according to what I read, Vernon, the night before the game, coming down stair steps side by side from the reports. He was on crutches right at that point, right? Yeah, man. He was on crutches the night before. And, man, this boy, he got in the game and ran that ball like he'd never been on crutches. But every now and then, they would pop him on that ankle, and you could see him dragging himself down the field. But it was hurting. He had a, I mean, I hate to say it on the radio, but he had a hell of a game. tired and very sad and just shook his head I think maybe he got one in Rob Carpenter back from that sprained ankle of just a couple of days ago and running as if he's not even hurt man he did an outstanding job man running the ball and for Nelson did a great job and man he hung in there and we got the victory and uh like I said Ron Carpenter man he came down them steps I'm like Oh, Lord, everybody said Earl is out, not Carpenter is out. But we had guys like Booby Clark, Ronnie Coma. Those guys stepped up, too. I think Booby Clark came in and scored a three- or four-yard touchdown. Down on the five-yard line, he scored a touchdown. So we had guys on offense to step up and, and do what they had to do to get that win. You were on such a roll. You mentioned it the week after the Chargers game. You go to the Steelers for that conference title game. I'm going to play what happened on the very first play from that uh, very first possession for the Steelers in that game. Good protection. Intercepted. Vernon Perry. 40. He might go all the way. Perry at the 35 to 30. Vernon Perry. Touchdown, Houston. 75 yards. The start. Did you think it was your day that day after after that first interception? Did you feel like, hey, I, I, we've got this one after what happened the week before? Oh, man. I, I, when I got that interception, the first thing I said, man, we're going all the way. You know, and the offense had pumped up and, you know, we went out, man, defense was playing and uh, we had first, the first pass brash out through. I picked it off and I went down the right side touchdown. And I was like, oh, man, I had one exception against uh, uh, Denver, then came back and did four with San Diego, and now one with Pittsburgh, that's six interceptions in three games. 
I'm like, wow, man, I couldn't believe that myself. And to me, that's a record. Six interceptions in a playoff, yeah. you know, in three games. So I look at that's a record to me. For 40 years, that's been a record. That Steelers game, of course, will be remembered for the Renfro catch in the end zone that wasn't. What do you remember about what happened? Were you watching the play or were you watching your defensive coaches when that play happened? I wasn't watching that play, but I saw it. Saw it. I, you know, they was talking about it. They say he came down and caught the ball. And from going back to this day, looking at it, he came down with a catch. And, you know, if we'd have had instant replay then that where the refs can go back and overrule that call, it would have been a touchdown. And, you know, we'd have been up, we'd have, you know, been on the board again. But like I say, the Steelers, you know, were the team of the 70s and and part of the 80s, man. And, hey, give them their credit. They, they had a lot of good athletes on that team. And uh, we got there. But like Bob say, he knocked on the door. And then he said the next year we were going to kick the sound bit in. So we tried. We was almost there. If Redfro's catch is called the touchdown, do you, do you beat the Steelers? We going to the Super Bowl. I think I, I think the offense would have would have scored some more points. And we went on and beat Pittsburgh. We beat them in Houston 6 nothing during the regular season. And, man, if we'd made that – we got that call. I think it would have helped us or helped our morale where we would have went in and, you know, probably played a whole lot better. So that touchdown really, it really took the life out of us. You know, when you make a call like that and you don't get it, I mean, you know, you start second guessing. And I think Bomb is just like, not again, man. They're getting it some kind of way. But it was fun, though. I give them their credit. They won and went on to the Super Bowl, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. You just mentioned the the pep rally that Bum spoke at, and you guys touched down from the game against Pittsburgh. This is the second year in a row, but you weren't there for the first pep rally. What I'm going to do, I'll, I want you to listen to this uh, for a minute. I've got Dan Pastorini and Elvin Bethay talking about the pep rally. And after we hear from them, I, w- I just want to kind of get your thoughts on what you remember from the pep rally. But, but here those two guys are. What people don't understand, sure, they saw the, the end result with all the people in the Astrodome. But when we walked through the airport at Intercontinental, you couldn't there, – there was an aisle wave about four feet where we could just walk down the, the aisles. People were five and ten deep in the terminal. The buses were outside, and we drove outside. People were parked along uh, – the uh, JFK Boulevard going into the airport, all the way down JFK Boulevard, all the way down the Beltway, all the way down 45. There wasn't a car going in either direction, with the exception of our motorcade of two buses and a couple limos and a police motorcade, a police escort. And there had to be 300 to 400,000 people out there on the streets honking their horns and, and cheering us going down the freeways both years. And then in 79, the, the people in the Dome I think we're about 30,000 more than, than original in 1978. Hey, that was one outstanding, unbelievable, I mean, there's no words yet that could express that, that feeling that we had coming back after losing to Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, coming back not knowing that we were, we were they told us to leave our cars at the airport, they were going to take us on bus, we had no idea, and 
when we came into the dome, uh, well, even before we got to the dome, people that were at the airport, the, the, the lines were long, horns were blowing, lights were flashing. And when we got to the dome, uh, they took us to the dome, and I could not believe when they opened it and let us out. And here's, what, 60,000 people standing up at the rafters, and many people said, what's the greatest time you ever had, or greatest thrill? I said, the 1978 and 79 years we came. Best best year I've ever had. And I still remember that. That's the best thing that ever happened to me. I had the Hall of Fame and all that, but just to seeing the people there, you're talking about 60,000-plus people, and you're, you're a losing team. You lost, lost the game. Just think... What would have happened if we'd won the game? And, uh, as the world of the pilot said, we wouldn't have been able to land, land the plane in Houston. It, it, it was the greatest thrill of my life. And even today I see people that were there, and mother, grandmothers and of young guys, the people that I meet, and they said they want to know about the old Oilers, and said he had to have been there. That's pretty amazing. What do you remember about that? What do you remember about the coming back to that those two, two pep rallies that that Dan and uh, Elvin were describing? Well, first of all, I'm glad you talked to my big my big brother Dan Passerini and my daddy <laughs> Elvin Patay. <laughs> you know they're so right, man. When we landed at the airport, man, there were people everywhere. We went to got on the bus and we going down the freeway. I mean, people parked on the side of the road, coming out from the airport, on the side of the road, honking their horns. I mean, all the way to the stadium. Man, we pull up at the stadium, man, cars and people everywhere. And like I said, when we pulled up in that dome, man, I could still see it, man. Flashing lights, uh, people everywhere. I mean, that place was jam-packed. And I can remember Earl Campbell getting off. I think he was riding on a motorcycle. And Bazir, I think he rode a horse or something. But, man, it was an experience. That's why I say, man, a kid leaving Canada, coming to a place like Houston, man, I was still in shock. Uh, Man, I couldn't believe that this was the love that you got playing for a team in Houston, man. Uh, when I said I was going to be a, a movie star, man, that couldn't be the feeling that I had when we got back to Houston and saw all those folks in the, in, in the dome, man. I mean, they were everywhere, man. Love, man. I'm telling you, man, it's hard to just to say how it felt, man, because it was one feeling that I would never, never forget. And just, you know, we lost the game, but... We won the we won though. We won we won the crowd, we won the, the fans and they loved us, man, and they knew what kind of Houston all the team we was. And man, I tell you something you you can't you can't express or go back and just tell how you really feel because man, it was a feeling that you would it's 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 in your heart forever. And just to be around a coach like Bum Phillip, man, it was it was great, man. It was great, man. He, he was just like a father to me, and you know, and I miss him to this day. Tell me about your defensive line coach for the Oilers. There's a little baby-faced kid named Wade Phillips, right? Yeah, he was a baby. He was so defense. I really didn't have much to do with Wade because our coach was Bob Gamble. 
So Wade and Bomb used to tell our coach, man, you take them crazy nuts back there. That's all me, Casey, Ryanfield, and Stemrick. Carter Hartwig, Willie, Willie Tullers. Man, we were some uh, bad boys back then. We played good together, but we had a coach. Man, we had a coach, just as, he was just as bad as we were. But he knew what he was doing, Bob Gamble. I mean, man, he was he was great. He was a good coach. He was like if if the one bond was Bob Gambo and we used to go out and play for him. And Wade was on the defensive line, so he Wade was already getting his hands full because he had guys like Curly Cup and the elements they he had to deal with. So we wanted to top the mess with Wade. So he had to deal with Curly Cup and you know Dirk Curly Cup one of the more mean guys. <laughs> you know, Wade Wade was younger than Curly, so can you imagine what Wade trying to go through with a guy like Curly Cup? That secondary, not the Hall of Famers of the front seven, but how good did you feel that group was with J.C. Wilson and Reinfeld and Stemmerich and, the, and, the, and all that group? First, when I got there, they had J.C. Stemmerich, Mike Reinfeld, and they had a guy, I can't think of his name, uh, Billy Curry or something. And they was in C.L. Middleton and Al Johnson. And they was looking for a good, strong safety. And I came in and I won that position. Man, we put it together back there. And Brian Field, that was one year. I think that's the year. He had the 13 interceptions. He had 13 interceptions, I think. Wow. And, uh, and I think Greg Stemmerich made the Pro Bowl. I would have made the Pro Bowl, but if Donnie Shell wouldn't have made it, I would have made the Pro Bowl. But we had a great team back there. J.C. Wilson, he was on corner. He had to deal with guys like Lynn Swans every every game. So you know how his game had to be. But we had a good secondary. And we played back there. We played together back there. And we all loved each other back there, man. We run just on the team together. We were friends, too. And to this day, uh, we still friends, except for we miss him one back there. And that's Greg Stemmer. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And, you know, he was like a brother to all of us. And he kept us laughing back there. And uh, we had a great team, great secondary. You mentioned playing with Jackie Slater. His son, Matthew, plays for the Patriots. He helped beat Jackie's old Rams team in the Super Bowl. How crazy is it to, to see that happen? Oh, man. You know, like I told you, man, me and Jackie grew up together uh, in like a block from each other. And Jackie and I was best friend. We played, you know, elementary, junior high, high school, college. And wherever he was going to college, I was going. And we played college together, and that's why I say we almost played the Rams together. It was between Houston and L.A., and I ended up coming to Houston. But just to have a son playing in the NFL is a, is a great accomplishment. I mean, you had somebody in your family that carry on your name. And I got a chance to meet Jacket's son at one of the NFL PA meetings, and he's a good kid, man. He's just like his dad. And, and the one thing that he made me feel good about, he said, Mr. Mr. Perry, you know what? My house, we used to always talk about Vernon Perry. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, my dad used to talk about you all the time. I said, wow, man, because I thought Jackie had forgot, it, forgot me, but 
He said, my dad, man, talks about you all the time. So, man, that made me feel good. I got a little touch for a second. A little tear dropped out. But just to hear that kid say that my name was mentioned in his house a lot meant, meant a lot to me. That's fantastic. What That's great. I got a big smile on my face with that. And I also got a big smile on my face because the next thing I wanted to ask you about is Walter Payton. And I, and I had a chance to see him address my school, the University of Missouri. When I was going to school there, he uh, went to address the football team and talked for 45 minutes to those guys about life and about football. And But it was mostly about life with Walter uh, and, and it was, it was such an amazing experience to get to see that in person. And he got a chance to shake his hands, shake his hand after that. What are your memories about playing with Walter and just, you know, Walter himself? Walter was a year ahead of me. And when I got to Jackson State, I got a chance to be good friends with Walter. You know, if it weren't for Walter, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have got my chance to go to Chicago Bears and, uh, going on to play pro ball because he was a good friend of mine. And Walter used to come back to Jackson after he played during the off season. And he would always come by and pick me up. And he would go hunting. We would go fishing. And Walter took me somewhere in the woods one time and we were shooting a gun. And he didn't tell me, Vernon, don't hold your head, your eye up to the scope. He didn't tell me that. So I'm shooting the gun, and I got my eye right on the scope, right? I shoot the gun. What do you think God do? Kick back. It kicked back, kicked me off the porch, and he fell off the porch with me. <laughs> and I'm got, I got blood coming out of my eyes, and, and he's sitting over there laughing. I told you not to put the scope too close, but he didn't tell me that. But, man, just to watch Walter Payton, man, I mean, it was awfully. I used to see Walter run over guys, uh, hit them with that forearm. And, you know, Walter forearm used to swell up. And you could see them during the, after the game where they'll go in and they'll uh, take a needle or something and, and drain that, that pulse or somebody Walter uh, where he's been hitting guys that forearm to hit that got to the point where it would swell up. Man, just to just to see a guy like that run, and I'm so honored to be in a play with two of the greatest running backs in the NFL, Walter Payton and Earl Campbell. I got a chance to play against both of those guys, and when Walter got his record for the most yards in NFL, I was with the New Orleans Saints. I wasn't on the field, but I saw him break that record in New Orleans. So that was a big plus for me too so just um man i'm telling you man it was never a dull day on jackson state campus with walter Payton around either pulling a, a, a uh, some kind of trick on you either biting you on the back of your shoulder <laughs> or even either uh, up in a tree ready to jump down and scare you <laughs> or he was full of Man, while Peyton had stuff going on all the time. But, you know, that was like my brother, man. And I, I miss him a lot, too. I want to go back to that Chargers game for a second. How crazy is it when you think about it today that neither team, neither team 
between the Chargers and the Oilers are in the same city. You know, it's it, it, it it's weird, right? Shoot, the Chargers, man. Uh, you know, they they should have stayed in San Diego. If they moved to L.A., why, I don't know, because they had some of the best fans in the world. And I can understand why Bud Adams wanted to move because he wanted to get a new stadium and he wanted to host the Super Bowl, just like McNair did. Uh, he wanted his own stadium, and he wanted to be able to host the Super Bowl because that's where the money was. And when he left the city of Houston, he ended up building a stadium. And that's all he, I think he wanted was a stadium so he could host the Super Bowl because Astrodome, it was a good place, but, man, it was like concrete. A lot of knee injuries, shoulder injuries, and ain't one nothing up under that turf but concrete. But it's still standing, ain't it? Yeah, still standing. <laughs> Barely. It's it's hanging in there. Let me ask you, because uh, you mentioned Bum Phillips. Uh, how often did you guys speak after uh, you left football? And what's the big thing that maybe he told you or a story that you have uh, of being around Bum on an everyday basis? You know what? After I retired, I still remain close to Bum. Myself in Brazil, because uh, you know, I left the Orleans. I ended up going to New Orleans playing ball, and then I retired from New Orleans, went back home, and started teaching school. Inside, I wanted to go back to Houston, and when I went back to Houston, I started seeing Bob, and we started getting close. And matter of fact, I've been to his ranch a few times, and his wife Debbie, man. They treat me like I'm honest. Me and Debbie, I used to call Bum once or twice a month just to say hello. And, you know, and then we'll go down there, and I still got a cow, pair of cowboy boots Bum gave me and a belt buckle that I would forever hold in my possession. And it was like, man, Bum was just like a father to us, man. I mean, you would have to have to play for Bob to know who Bob Phillips really was. And I think half of the time, I think Wade was probably a little jealous because he didn't know he had so many brothers. He had brothers from everywhere. Everybody loved Bob. And I was, I was kind of like, one is Bob giving Wade as much love as he giving his players, man, because, man, he was just like, he was your father, man. You know, I'm just a man. And I'm serious, man. When I tell you, I called Bum and talked to him. I would call Bum at least twice a month just to say hello. And we'd talk, and he'd be happy to hear from me. And he'd be saying, Vernon, I'm waiting on you to come down now. I said, I'm coming, coach. And, you know, me and Brazil went down on Kenny Burroughs. We all went down to see Bum. But, like I say, I miss him. But he did something. He, he did something. In Houston, that nobody else could do. He brought a bunch of guys together as brothers, as a team, as friends that nobody else had ever done. And that's what I like about it. He brought all us together. And we're still together at the Love You Blue Houston Oilers family. What do you tell people who didn't live in Houston while you played here? I mean, what was it like to live in Houston during that time? and be a Houston Oiler? Man, during that time, man, the city was crazy, man. We, man, if you wanted a car, 
All you do is go to this dealership. They will give you a car. If you want a cowboy boots, if you want a cowboy hat, man. I mean, the city was crazy, man. They loved the Houston Oilers. So if you want a Houston Oilers fan, you should have been one. You should have moved to Houston then because, man, the city was Houston Oilers crazy. I mean, everywhere you go, you see Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, cowboy boots. Bomb bought the cowboy boots back out. It was a cowboy town. And I think Bomb bought the cowboys back in the Houston where people were wearing cowboy hats, cowboy boots, buck belt buckles. I mean, Bum bought all that. And one thing he did tell everybody, don't wear your hat inside the house. Always take your hat off. You have never seen Bum in the dome with a hat on. But if he was outdoors, he had a hat on. If he was in the dome, he didn't have a hat on. Well, last thing I just want to tell you and, I, I know my fans know this, but you know, what love you blue happened when I was seven, eight years old. And it's such an important memory in my life. And I went on to have a career in sports. And I think my love of sports a lot of, in a lot of ways was born from that. I, I had a chance to meet bum before he passed away. And I got a chance to tell him that as well. And, and bum was bum because he started asking me questions about my life instead of vice versa. But, you know, I, I just can't tell you enough what, you guys meant to me what the Oilers meant to me at that time and the memories that I still have. And it, it it's almost impossible, like you say, to explain it to people that weren't there. Like Dan says, how do you explain this? Like Alvin, but they said, it, it, you just can't, you can't do it as, as hard as you try. Yep. And you know, like they bomb, bomb did something that nobody else can do. He brought a group of men together and we're still together as a family. He's gone. A lot of us, all, a lot of the guys are gone. But guess what? We all still a family. And I will always remember that. And I will take it with me wherever I go. That it was one of the best time of my life was the day that I became a Houston Oiler. I can't think of a better way to end it than that. Thank you so much, Vernon, for doing this. Thanks so much for taking the time. All right. You're welcome. Have a good one. No one, and I just have to say no one except the hardiest of Oilers fans gave these Oilers a chance. And yet here they are about to celebrate with one of the best victories that they're ever going to have a chance to carry home. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Because we're the Houston.